Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church Podcast. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. First Peter uh, chapter number two is where we're going to be today. And it's been several weeks since we've been in this uh, study. In fact, the last time we were in 1 Peter was back on the 28th of November. And I don't know about you, but that feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> but anything before Christmas, you just sort of forget about. And so back on the 28th of November is when uh, we were in this study together. And so I want to just give us a, a little bit of a refresh, you know, just a little bit of a reminder real quickly as we get into our study in chapter number two today. Of course, you can always go back and check up, uh, catch up online uh, through the podcast or through uh, YouTube or, or even through Facebook. You can catch up on all of the uh, messages from it if you're just joining with us. Um, but the book of 1 Peter is a very interesting book. And we discovered that in the first message we preached on it was that it was a unique book for a unique time. If you remember that, and it was unique in this way, Peter was the author. And as much as we know about Peter from the word of God and the book of Acts and all through the gospels, he only wrote this one small letter. And so for us, that is a unique thing that someone with so much, uh, so much impact, especially uh, when we studied the book of Acts, you remember a year ago, and the impact that Peter had in taking the gospel to the Gentiles and how God used him in such a special way. The fact that we only have this one letter from him is a unique thing. It means that we should really pay attention because he's somebody who walked with God and really knew Jesus, of course, in a very unique way, but it was unique in, the, in it as well, not only by its author, but by who it was written to. It was written to people who were scattered. We call them scattered pilgrims and strangers, people that were under persecution, uh, people that had maybe for a time worshiped in Jerusalem, but now uh, they had been scattered because of the persecution that was happening there. Even Gentiles that were under persecution had to move on and go to different places. And so he's writing to those that are in persecution, but he's also writing to those who are about to face persecution and about to face difficulty because as we saw in that first message, uh, historically, this, this was written right before, I mean, some extreme persecution came to the church. And so it's sort of a preparatory book for them and to stay strong. And for us today, it's all about staying strong and recognizing that our home right here on this earth for now is a temporary home, isn't it? It's just here for a while. We're not gonna be here forever. And so we can persevere even in the difficulties of life, even in the struggles of life, because it is just temporary for a moment. And as well, we can persevere because, as we saw in our second message, Jesus is our living hope. Jesus is our living hope, and he is our salvation, and he is the one that we turn to. Even in trials, we can trust in his hope for joy, and we can trust our trials that we go through to prove our faith in Jesus Christ. And those were the first few messages that we looked at. And those were initial, uh, I don't know, you want to call them foundational messages for the rest of the book that was to come. Because what he was doing was he, is, he was establishing for us that we need to know Jesus is really what it comes down to. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to know what Jesus means. We need to know that we can trust in him no matter what. And then building on that foundation, then what we see is a transition then to how to practically live then. So once you have that foundation laid, you can now move forward. You probably experienced that in your job where you, uh, I don't know if you can remember when you started the job that you have right now, but there was a lot of foundational things you had to learn, right? And you had to, you had to learn uh, some of the basics. You had to learn where the washroom was, right? You had to learn where, uh, uh, where certain things were kept. You had to learn all sorts of foundational aspects, where the HR office was. You needed to know all of these things, and then you could finally start to do your job the best possible way, right? When you get onboarded, there's all this foundational stuff. 
And that's what 1 Peter is. That first section is foundational. It's the onboarding of the Christian life. We know that Jesus is our hope. We know that we're going to go through struggles as believers. Now we can live it out practically. And that's where the transition happened there in the middle of chapter number one. And we talked about how to pursue holiness, how that should be our highest goal. We talked about preparing our mind uh, to walk in obedience, to pursue holiness. We saw how it's important for Christians to have a healthy fear of God and a unique, special love for one another. And that was the last message that we had in, uh, back in November 28th. 28th, 28th, November 28th, and uh, yes, anyway, uh, November 28th, and how there's that reverence there and that pure and fervent was the word, fervent love for one another as believers. And we left off our last message with Peter's strong reminder to us that after this idea of fear and love, that we then should recognize that everything about this life is temporary except for the word of God. And in verse 23, he said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. Then he says this, the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of our Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which, uh, which by the gospel is preached Unto you. And that's how he ended chapter number one for us after speaking of all of these foundational things. He says, Above all else, you need to know for sure that the word of God is what's going to last beyond this temporary life. You know, sometimes in life, it's important for us to simply reflect and consider just how short life is. Just how short life is. And that means just how short the good of life is and just how short the bad of life is as well. Soon, no matter what it is that you are in right now, no matter what trial you are facing, it will pass on. It will eventually fade. It will pass away. And that's why we as Christians need to make sure that our focus is on God because he is the enduring, everlasting one. His word is the one that continues on through all generations. And it's the, the focus on Christ and our walk with God is what enhances the life that we have and the relationships that we're blessed to have during our time on this earth. But there's another element to the reminder that he gave us at the end of this chapter about the brevity of life. And it is this, it is this, with the blessings of salvation. Here's the other reminder that we need to, to, to really get a hold of today. With the blessings of salvation, there's a responsibility that comes with it with the short time that we do have left. So we know that foundationally God is to be our pursuit we know that all things are going to pass away and things are going to fade away. God is going to endure forever. But with that, as Christians, there's a responsibility then to that salvation that is to come or to that salvation that we have and the short time that we have on this earth. And so I wanted to just give us that foundation because as we move now into chapter two, there's a continuation of the principles that have been presented to us in chapter one, but there's a very distinct difference in the way that Peter is presenting them. Because now what he is doing is Peter is taking the sum total of all of these imperatives that we've seen of holiness, of reverence, of love, and now he's going to point all of those things that he's talked about, and he's going to point them in one direction. And the direction that he's going to lead us to is something that is uh, irreversible, if you want to, if you want to, maybe that's a good descriptive word for it, but basically all of these things point to one foundational truth that we should know as a believer. And it comes down to one word, and it's the word transformation. What Peter is trying to tell us is that all of these things that he's talked about, holiness, perseverance, they all lead, all of these principles will lead to a transformed or a changed life. 
Now, in case you are wondering what that looks like, in case you are maybe right now at the beginning of 22, maybe for the first time in a while, willing to see some change take place in your life, this is a great passage to put us on the path of transformation. And so Peter, what he's going to do here is he's going to, in his typical short, to-the-point fashion, he's going to give us a pathway to transformation. And that's the title of today's message, A Pathway to Transformation for the Believer. So this is for Christians, people who know Jesus Christ, who have the foundation in our life. This is a pathway to transformation as a stranger and a pilgrim. And I just want to tell you at the outset of the message that I needed this this week. It was something that God just really spoke to me about. Because regardless of where we are in our walk with him, we need transformation. Not transformation uh, through a book that we read, but transformation through the very word of God, through God himself and through his Holy Spirit. And this is the pathway that Peter is getting to us. So we've got this foundation. So you ready now? It's transformation time. I hope you're ready. So buckle up. Here we go. Because Peter doesn't mess around, does he? Right? Peter doesn't mess around. He gets right to it. So let's get to verse number one. Look what he says here. He says, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Point number one this morning, the pathway to transformation begins when we cast off the world. When we cast off the world. Look again at verse number one with me. He says, we need to lay aside. Notice this. He says, if you're going to continue in your walk with God, if you're going to develop and be transformed by the word, there are some things that, first of all, need to be cast off. See, the ethical responsibility of those who have experienced the blessings of salvation and the growth that is possible for us through the work of the Holy Spirit will lead us to understand, church, that we need to live a reflective lifestyle, meaning a lifestyle that reflects Jesus Christ that is dedicated to his testimony. And to do that, there are some things that, need to, that we need to be willing to lay aside. Literally, the translation of that word, laying aside, it means to strip away, it means to, to expose, to just get rid of completely. And so he begins by saying, based off of the foundation of what Christ has done for you and your salvation, there are some things that need to be laid aside. Now, this, this phraseology is seen throughout the New Testament. We see it in Romans uh, chapter 13. We see it in Ephesians 4. We see it in Colossians 3. We see it in James chapter 1 as well. And they all carry the same imagery of casting aside. It's like the imagery of laying aside a garment, of taking off a garment and just, and just laying it aside. Now, you maybe understand it like I understand it in this sense. Uh, there's oftentimes when I come home from work and, and I'll get to work and of course the kids are home and Jeanette's home, everybody's there. But I would say, I won't say every day of the week, but a lot of days of the week when I get home and I open the front door into our entryway, sometimes I can barely get the door open. Into my own home. I feel like I'm being held, you know, resisted. To my own home and I come home and I try and I'm like, what, what's going on? And I have to kind of slide through and get into the house. And do you know why that is? It's because often when I come home from work, there is a pile of shoes and coats and school bags and whatever else you want to call it laying there in the entryway to our home. It doesn't happen every day, but sometimes that is the case. And the reason is because when our boys get home from school, they have two things on their mind. You know what it is? A snack and play. That's all they want to do. I'm done with school. And so when they come in, I mean, the bag is off, the coat, and you can almost see the trail, you know, the bag, the coat, the shoes, the socks sometimes, uh, the whatever it is, and it's just laying there on the ground. And I come home and I say, oh, I guess the boys are home. 
And then I often, one of the first things I say when I get home is, boys, <laughs> come down here and put your stuff away. They're not hanging on the rack. They're just there. And, and the reason is, and I, honestly, I can hardly blame them for that because I remember what it was like to be a nine-year-old nine going to school or a 13-year-old at school. And I remember what it was like to come home. And, and, and the reason is that they're just trying to get rid of everything so that they can enjoy their time. They're home. School's over. We're just here to enjoy life. And so they'll get rid of anything they can to enjoy it. And we can't blame them because while we are not as obvious as adults, we do the same thing. I come home and my coat comes off and I hang it up and my bag goes away and my shoes are put, well, not always put away. I try to put my shoes away and, and uh, you know, and I want, maybe I'll get into some more comfortable clothes, you know. Some of you are in your sweatpants as soon as you walk in the door and you got them hanging there with your coats. You just change right there and you come in and you're just getting ready and you're like, okay, I'm home now. Work's over. Uh, those of you who work at home, you're like, I cannot relate. But, uh, you know, you get home and I, I get rid of these shoes and I'm just going to be comfortable and I'm just going to relax and I'm going to enjoy my time at home. I'm going to enjoy my time away from work. Now, that's the picture that we see here. Here's the picture. It's the idea that in order to enjoy the Christian life as it should be enjoyed, to experience life to the fullest, there are some things that need to be laid aside from your life. There are some things that need to be put away if you're going to enjoy the gathering of the church, if you're going to enjoy your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. There are some things that need to be laid aside, not to be put back on at a later time, but things that need to be removed by the power of God in your life, the one who made us more than conquerors, the one who loves us, as Romans 8 tells us. And we have to remember that it's a battle that we are constantly in in the Christian life, aren't we? We have the, the new spirit and a new nature through God and through our salvation, but we also know that the old nature is not completely eradicated. You recognize this in moments where you have a thought and you say, what, what, why am I thinking this right now? Why, why did I respond like that to that person? Well, that's the old nature that is continually battling, and it's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And that's part of, I believe, the goodness of God in our life, that we have those, 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 those um, opposing elements in our life to remind us about our dedication and our need for Jesus Christ and our reliance upon him. And so as that happens, we have these struggles, but the fact is, is that there are some things that need to be removed, things that can defile us, and the best way to do it is what Peter's doing for us here, which is identifying some things. Identifying some characteristics that we must lay aside. And these things that he mentions here are things that are damaging to the person who's pursuing Christ. These are things that hold us back from growing in our walk with God. And so I want to look at these just briefly as we continue talking about some things that we should cast off. Now, here's what I want us to do is I don't want you to, this morning, identify these things in somebody else, even if they're sitting right next to you, okay? Help me out with that. Don't, don't just be like right away like, oh yeah, mom, you know, or whatever, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is that you, that I, whoever that person is, because I think when you do that, well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. When you do that, uh, you're harboring one of these things in your life, but we'll get to that in a moment. But don't think about others. I want you to think about yourself. Because if you are truly to be reflective and focused here, I believe you will see, as I did this week, things in your own life that need to be confessed and be right with God if we're going to grow. Remember, this whole year is about spiritual growth, right? Moving forward for the Lord. So let's identify these. The first one that we see in the verse here is malice. And it's also given the quantifier, all malice. There's a few of them that are emphasized with the word all right before them. But he says that we are to remove malice from our life. Now, it's an interesting word to define. It has two different direct meanings. The first meaning in a, is a general meaning, and it simply means wickedness. 
all forms of evil. It's a word that strikes basically at all the evil vices of mankind that you can think of. Malice would be an encompassing word for that. But specifically, in a narrow uh, sense, it also means a deep-seated feeling against a person. It's a hatred. It's a, 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 an intense and a long-lasting bitterness against a person. Okay, now it's starting to get a little more personal here, right? It's a, it's a feeling towards somebody that is vicious, is spiteful. Uh, We would maybe describe this as holding a grudge. It means that uh, you are maybe uh, turning your heart even over to evil because of the way you are feeling towards this person. It's actually wishing that something bad would happen to that person. Man, so, oh, this is, uh, this week I saw a, I saw a clip on, on, uh, online this week of somebody preaching this is, this is ridiculous and despicable. Preaching about another preacher who they don't agree with, and they said, I hope that they die. That's what they said. I couldn't believe it. It was on a, well, anyway, yeah, there, there's some really bad preachers out there. Just, there's, hopefully, hopefully you don't think that about me. Uh, but uh, there are some really bad ones, and that's what he preached. I mean, preached it to his church and then preached three, three-point message on why, why he thought that was okay. Okay, that's malice right there. Wanting something bad to happen to another person. And the charge here is strong. He says you need to remove that from your life. All of this evil and wickedness and ill feeling towards other people. Believers' feelings towards each other are to be pure and clean. We are to live pure and clean lives before our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's not possible if you have a heart of malice. Now, I I can't identify that in your life. Only you can identify that in your life. But I think all of us, if we would be honest, there is an element of that, of malice, of of real bitterness towards other people. Building upon that is this word guile. This is something else that we must remove from our life. And this is the idea of deceiving or misleading people. It has a deeper feeling of setting a bait to catch them or to deceive somebody else in order to achieve your own end. It means to be uh, two-faced is the idea that we have. And, and this idea here of guile or deception primarily has to do with your words, the way that you speak. Uh, the kind of person who, is, who has guile is somebody that will try to get what they want no matter what they have to say, whether it's flattery, false promises, half-truth stories, suggestive, uh, uh, suggestive talking, um, enticing words, or even by just straight-up lying. When a person who has guile wants something, they will look at another person's weakness or another person's ignorance, maybe, and they will appeal and try to take advantage of it. Here, Peter is very strong by saying we must remove this from our life. We cannot be defined as somebody who is deceptive and deceiving. We all know people in our lives that we just don't trust. We just don't trust them. I remember uh, years ago when I was uh, in my first ministry uh, that we, um, we needed to hire somebody else for the church, and it was a larger church, and uh, we needed to hire somebody, and so my pastor asked me for some recommendations, and I recommended a few of my friends, you know, people that I knew. And uh, one of them, we flew him out, came out and, and flew out, him and his wife, and came and spent some time with us. And I was, you know, we had like a little interview process, and he did really well, and I was feeling pretty good about it. But then came to discover that we had a church thing, and uh, they didn't show up for it on the interview. I mean, we flew them out here on our own dime and everything, and, and they didn't show up for this church thing during their interview weekend. And, uh, and I was like, okay, like maybe something happened. They just never showed. And so later on, I was reaching out to him, and, and we were talking about it, and he just straight up lied to me. 
straight up lied to me. And, uh, and they had gone on and done something they wanted to do, which wasn't a big deal. But the fact was that he just lied to me about it. So I had to go to my pastor and say, listen, we cannot hire this guy because he just, and he had something he wanted to accomplish, something he wanted to do. And we all felt used, you know, and we all felt like, well, forget it. Like it was a waste of time. And so we definitely didn't hire him. That turned on, un- continued, unfortunately, to be a part of his life and really his testimony to this day. But I would never want to be defined in that way. And Christians should not be defined in that way. As someone who is, is trying to manipulate things behind the scenes and trying to benefit through guile, the next one he talks about is hypocrisies. And we all know this word, of course, and it's somebody who pretends. It's somebody who puts on a show. It's interesting, the entomology of this word has changed over the years. Initially, it just meant if you responded to somebody who spoke to you, that was called being a hypocrite. And then later on, it began to get connected to uh, the theater and people who are actors. And then, of course, today, we really understand it as someone who acts one way, but in reality is another way. Notice here how he used the plural of hypocrisies in there, meaning all kinds of ways that we can be hypocritical. And there's a lot of ways, aren't there? There's a lot of ways that if I say, hey, name some ways that a person could be hypocritical, and you just be like, <laughs> you know, all of these ways that we can be a hypocrite. But a person who is a hypocrite is somebody that acts in a Christian sense. Let's just bring it to the church. Somebody who acts and says that they love and worship God, but they do not live like God tells them to live. This is somebody when they pretend, they pretend to be following God, but they're living in reality how they want to live. This is somebody who says that they have a concern for the things of God, but really their concern is for the things of the world. They profess to believe the word of God, but they question it and they add to it or they try to take away from it. They act as though they care for people, but they're really full of selfishness, self-seeking, possessiveness, envy, and pride. They pursue friendship, but really they're after an ultimate goal there in that friendship. They act friendly, but they could really care less. They promise, but they don't intend to keep that promise. You know, throughout Christ's ministry, he spent a lot of time dealing with hypocrites, didn't he? Who were they? They were the Pharisees, and he addressed them so strongly so many times. In Matthew 28, he said, Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. I mean, he said it right to their face. He just said, you guys are hypocrites. You are hypocrites. And we as believers should not ever present ourselves in a way that is a lie to who we truly are. Now, I get it. Do we all come, you know, come to church or a social event and, and act like everything's all right, even though maybe things are, I'm not, this isn't like that we, that we just live like, just like, man, every, you know, you want to know who I really am, <laughs> you know, and then uh, and I'm just going to unload on you. I'm so angry. It's like, well, that's a sin too, you know, you can't just live in this, this way. This isn't about being, uh, but the point is about in our spiritual walk, being genuine in our spiritual walk. That means what you say in church and how you live at home actually connect together. This is so important for us, so important as believers that we are not... Listen, the world already thinks we're hypocrites, don't they? You ask an unsaved person, what do you think about church people? That's one of the first things they'll say, hypocrites, because they know somebody who says they're a Christian and did a terrible thing, did something wrong and hurt them and abused them, whatever. Listen, we got enough problems outside. It should not be inside as well. And so he says you need to strip these things away. You need to remove them. And then he talks about envies as well, which again is another plural word here. Listen, a person without God is overcome by their envy. But a person with God can also be overcome by envy. It's the idea that 
coveting or desiring what somebody else has, whether it's their position, whether it's their money, whether it's their looks, whether it's their, their social status, their recognition, whether it's their authority, uh, their, whatever it may be, he uses the plural term to include all kinds of envies and jealousies that we can name. It means that we are not to look at a person and be envious or want to be like them or have what they possess. Now listen, this is, this is a struggle, isn't it? Let's just be real here. It's a struggle, especially living in such an affluent city like Vancouver, right? I mean, everywhere we go, Miles yells out, Tesla, every time we see one, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so there's obviously people with some money here, you know? When I was a kid, it was like Lambo, you know, Ferrari, and you still see them all over the city. It's crazy. And it's tough sometimes, you know, to, 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 to live in a city where there is so much wealth and, and, and to be maybe struggling with that and, and to envy it. But it, it isn't just limited. It's not limited. I think probably most people don't struggle so much with envying other people's financial as they do just their position or their perceived position. Whether it's social media. Man, social media is a envy machine, isn't it? It's a machine. And we look at these people and we say, they have the perfect life, you know? And, uh, and uh, you know, like, oh, they're so, they, they're so happy. Here, here's, let me help you with that. Whenever you make a statement about somebody on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, just add that word at the end, okay? They're so happy on Instagram, okay? Man, they have the perfect life on Facebook, <laughs> Okay, or if you're on Twitter, everything is the worst, you know. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the alternate, that's the alternate one. Everything is terrible over there. But l- really, just add that to that, and you'll get a better glimpse of what's really going on in their life. Okay, you could even add this, and this I think will maybe help you. Man, it seems like they have it all together at church. That's a, that's a real deep-seated problem within believers, is that we go to church, and we look at one another, and then we think that, everyone else's life is perfect based off of an hour or two hours a week. And that's not the case. Man, I've had people say to me, Pastor, but you don't understand anything about my life because your life is perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Right. You have five or ten hours, (laughs) you know. Let's talk. Listen, we all struggle. We all, and, and to help us with this envy side of things, you just need to keep things in reality here a little bit. And we should remove envy from our lives in whatever form that it takes because it can take a terrible toll upon the life and the body of the believer. A person who envies does not have peace or happiness. They don't. They do not have peace. They do not have happiness. They are dissatisfied with who they are, with what they have. And if they're always wanting more and more of what everybody else has, it will drive them to some really difficult places. Envy drives people to poor decisions. It drives people to crime. It drives them to severe uh, mental and physical difficulties. This, This study of envy, just do a little bit of research, even from a secular viewpoint. Envy is just, it can tear you apart. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says that a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. Now think about that phrase there. Man, envy can rot you from the inside out. It can take away any structure in your life. It can take away what holds you up and keeps you moving forward. It just destroys you. And envy is something that must be removed from our lives. And praise God, he can help us have victory from envy. It is the Lord who saves us and delivers us 
uh, from these things. He gives us real life. It is he who satisfies our hearts and our lives, as Psalm tells us, with pleasures forevermore. And so we must remove envy from our life. And, and I'll tell you, it's, it's much easier to love people purely and with a right heart when you have removed your envy of them. And whatever it may be, and I'm not just talking about admiring somebody, like, hey, you know, uh, I admire you or whatever. That's okay to admire spiritual principles and others, but I'm talking about real envy. I wish I had what they had. I wish they didn't have it and I wish it was mine. It's hard to love and support and build somebody up when that's your mindset. And so we need to remove, we need to cast off envies from our life, but as well, we need to cast off evil speaking. Evil speaking, he continues there. Now this one's tough because it encompasses so many things. Evil speaking includes things like criticizing, judging, backbiting is a scriptural term, gossiping, censoring, condemning, grumbling against another person. It means to talk about and to tear them down, to spread stories about them, stories that would cut and hurt them, that lower their image, that uh, lower and, and mitigate their reputation even in the eyes of others. Typically, the word just simply means to talk behind somebody's back when they're not there. Now, Peter's encouragement here is very, very powerful and strong. We are not to speak evil and judge one another. The reason is clear. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. All of us are part of the family of God, and as a result, we must love and care and look out for each other, not tear each other down. We should be supporting, encouraging. We should be building up one another, not tearing down people. When one falls and gets into trouble, we should be reaching out to help them, not saying, right? And pointing at them and say, hey, did you hear what happened to them? Man, they're really going through a rough time and that's who you need to, you know, uh, look, look at them, look at what they're going through. Uh, James uh, tells us here that, uh, uh, James 4, I don't have it on the screen, but we're not to speak evil one of another. He says, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, this is James 4.11, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law, but if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now think about that for a moment. Evil speaking. Man, how many times have I found myself saying something that not, it's not an intentional trying to tear somebody down, but I realize after the fact that, oh, you know what, that, that minimized their reputation by what I just said. We've all experienced it in our own lives. We've had it happen to us. But so quickly, we often do it ourselves where we try to tear down and bring down. And, and it's, sometimes it's so subtle but it really speaks to the heart, it speaks to our heart of what's going on inside of us at the time, doesn't it? It reveals much more about who we are in that moment. And so these are things here, this list that he gives to us are things that we need to remove from our lives. And what a list that he gave to us there. That's a hard list to work through. It's fun when you're reading the Bible sometimes to be like, boop, 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 boop. all right, and you keep moving, right? But when you slow down and you look at those words one by one, it really begins to hit home. Malice and guilt and hypocrisies and envies and evil speaking. Ooh, man, that's hard. That's hard. But that's what we need sometimes, isn't it? Life isn't all roses and buttercups. I don't know. Is that a, you know, life isn't all just like, you know, everything's just awesome all of the time. Nor do many of us, I say a lot of people don't just thrive when everyone just tells us how great we are. Sometimes we need somebody, and thankfully the Word of God does this, tells us, okay, this is something you need to work on. This is how you need to grow. But what we cannot forget is that all of these vices that he mentions here constitute behavior that is the opposite 
that is opposed to and is incompatible with the brotherly love that we are to be sharing with one another that we saw in verse number 22. And we have to be reminded of the importance or the call of transformation that is given to us. And I want to remind us as well that the call to transformation is not something that is rooted in self-sufficiency as those self-help Instagram accounts give to you or tell you, uh, you know, you can just do it on your own. Rather, as Christians, we recognize the power to change, the ability to move forward is through transformation that comes through the grace of God, as we saw in verse number 13 of chapter 1. It is a grace that allows us to grow progressively in the present reality of our salvation. And that's what we have to remember as we move into our next point today. Because unless there's a removal of these things through the grace of God and the power of God, then we will not be able to move forward to where we need to be, which is what we see in verses 2 and 3. When it comes to transformation, we must cast off the world, but we also must crave the word. So two things to remember today. Cast off and crave. This is the the heartbeat of transformation here. Casting off the world and craving the word. Look at verse number two and verse number three. It says, as newborn babes desire. Now this is the word here that means longing. It means a craving to possess. So as newborn babes desire, crave the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is Gracious. Now, I love this part here because here he tells us that if a person is actively confessing and removing the malice and the guile and the hypocrisies and the envies and the evil speaking, the replacement strategy for those sinful cravings is a craving for the things of God. In fact, here we see it as the milk of the word of God. Now, typically, when we hear the word craving, it's associated with food, right? And uh, we understand that. And, and uh, it's so funny when you get a craving for something, you will do almost anything to get it. There is a reason that Skip the Dishes and DoorDash is around, so that when I want that beef pad thai at 11.30 p.m., I can get it to my door in 25 minutes, or it's free. No, they don't do that anymore, do they? But I can get it. I, I can have that craving, whatever it may be. There's sometimes that Jeanette's like, all right, this is what we're having for dinner, and uh, or this, we'll do this sometimes. We'll feed the boys leftovers, and they'll be like, what do you want to eat? You know? and, uh, and we'll order something in for ourselves, and uh, the boys are so gracious and kind and not bitter at all. And so uh, we'll say, all right, what is it that we want to we order in? And, and we can get it. What, what do you have a craving for? We'll often say that. She'll say, I, I want some sushi. And I'll say, I want a blackened chicken, you know? So we can order that. It's great from two different places and you can get it in. And it's amazing the amount of inconvenience though that we will suffer in order to meet that craving, that food craving that we desire in the moment. Now, Peter, he uses this descriptive term because as a spiritual leader, he recognizes that the path forward to spiritual growth is that you develop within your life a real craving, a longing, a desire for the word of God as well. And he uses it, and he says here, it is the word, and he uses the term the milk of the word in order to tell us, okay, this is the pathway to transformation. And he, he describes the word of God as this idea of pure, a pure spiritual milk. Notice how he says there, the sincere milk of the word. That, that means a pure, it means without a mixture, that means that nothing is wrong with it. It is completely pure and unadulterated. And so he says the believer is to pursue, to go after the sincere, pure milk of the word, just as a baby craves milk and milk only. It's interesting, we have like, we've had some babies born just recently, right, here in our church, and we're thankful for that, and that's exciting. But what does a baby crave? A baby craves milk. You know, I don't think Jack or David has ever been like, hey, can I get some cake over here, you know? 
I really just, I'm craving some chocolate today. No, they, everything they need is in what they crave. And they crave the milk. And if you don't feed them in time, they will let you know about it. I need, I need it, is what they're saying. I need this. Now, I haven't forgotten, okay? I have not forgotten that last week, if you remember, what did I talk about? I talked about spiritual maturity and how we are to grow up and to move on from spiritual milk. Remember that? We talked about that last week. Uh, Because we connected, and Hebrews 5 does this. Hebrews connects the milk of the word or spiritual milk as something that's related to immaturity. Remember that, back in Hebrews chapter 5, we we discovered that. But here's what's interesting about this passage. In here, the main point of this passage is not the concept of milk of the word. That's not the uh, the main point of it here. The main imagery here is in the verb desire or crave. That is the main focus. It is to stress the idea of hunger and the idea of sustenance that's found completely within the word of God. And so Peter here is trying to convey to us our motivation for growth, not a distinction between maturity levels. Because even if you've been saved for 30 years, like some of the people he was writing to here were saved for 30 years. Even if you were saved for 30 years, uh, uh, you still need to crave the source of growth and life that is God's word. There is no other source. There is no other food. There is no anything that we should be pursuing after. We do not need to pursue anything else except God and his word. It is the source that we could receive everything for the Christian life. Now, over the last few years, there's been a bit of a movement, a trend of things called superfoods, right? Have you ever, man, I need some more Achaia in my life. I probably said it wrong. What is it? Asaya? What's that berry that's covered in chocolate that I like so much? Uh, Asaya? I don't know. Okay, you know. Right. Kale is the superfood, right? And I'm putting in my smoothies and on my pizza and everywhere. You know, kale is the superfood. But it's interesting if you study the superfoods, and maybe you would consider, I'm going to make my diet completely of this superfood. I was reading about sweet potatoes and how they're a very superfood. But they said in order to get the necessary calcium, you need to eat at least around 50 a day. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll have a calcium deficiency eventually. So that's a lot of sweet potatoes. <laughs> that's a lot of calories. That's a lot of starch. Then the, the other side of it. So my point is that though something may be considered a superfood, you still need other things to supplement it, don't you? Uh, Today, they're working very hard to develop these gelatinous molds of things that we could eat that supposedly will provide everything that you need in a little hockey puck-sized, thick, uh, gelatinous thing that you can kind of heat up and eat, and Bill Gates is really into this stuff, you know, and and you can kind of fit everything, but we're not quite there yet. Even with those, there's always something that needs to be supplemented, but when it comes to spiritual growth, there is no supplement needed except for the Word of God. So he's trying to say Just like a baby, milk is all that they need to grow and develop for the Christian, the word of God. Whether you have been saved a year or 10 years or five days, you need the word of God. You still, that's all that you need. And it must be what you desire and it must be what you crave. So how do you crave the word of God is the question. Well, I believe you crave the word of God by removing other cravings that might get in the way. removing other cravings that might get in the way. You know, when you try to lose weight or you want to start a healthier diet, do you know what you do? We've done this in our house. You go around and you find all the bags of chips, right? You grab them out of the cupboard. 
and you take the crackers out of the cupboard and you take the Pop-Tarts out of the cupboard and you take the, all the things I love. You, know, you, take the, you take all these things and you, you put them in a big pile and then what do you do? Into the trash they go. You know? And you maybe light a match, a little gasoline or something. I'm, I'm not going to be tempted by those chips anymore. You know? I'm not going to be tempted by those things. Or in our case, what we do is we bring them and we say, all right, boys, eat these now. <laughs> eat them all now. And they just go to town. And, and what do you do? You remove the cravings. You remove the things that might, that might source the craving that you know you're going to have whenever you're trying to get healthy and, and, and develop in that way. And so you remove those things. You make the kids eat it all. And the reason is you want to remove the object of your craving. Now, the same principle applies here. I believe if you're going to crave the word completely, maybe there's some things in your life that you need to remove that you crave constantly that get in the way of your craving of the word. Maybe a removal of the things that we go to for comfort rather than God. The things that we try to fill up our life with rather than the word of God. Things like social media, Netflix, maybe some subscriptions that you have that only feed your flesh. Maybe it's the pursuit of something that only leaves you bitter and unhappy. Whatever it may be, there might be something you need to remove from your life in order to really crave the word. Because some of us, we satiate ourselves with little things in the world And they may not even necessarily be sinful or wrong things, but we satiate ourselves with them because it makes us feel like, okay, I'm okay for a little little while longer. I can go on for another week. I can go on for another day. I have this little thing that that I've satiated, but it's not the word of God. And you know what happens is that you're gonna have to have it again. And if if it is in the sin area, I tell you what, it'll never stays right here, does it? It just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And so we need to remove the things, be disciplined so that the word becomes our source of comfort and the word becomes our source of joy. See, church, the result of craving the word is a most wonderful promise that we saw there in verse three. You've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Do you see that? Man, what a wonderful promise that is, that God is the one who feeds us, who nourishes us. He uses that word tasted, uh, that the Lord is gracious. It's the idea of we have, we have gotten a glimpse of it. And so because we've gotten a glimpse of the graciousness of God through our salvation and what it is he can provide to us through his Holy Spirit, that now we can crave for him and yearn for his word. And as we pursue him and pursue his image, we understand that he is truly all that we need. He is everything that we need. And he gave us his word to understand that. You know, the process of transformation is very, very simple. Very simple. And I'll tell you what, if you came to me, now I'm not the one to come to, but let's say you went to Christian and said, Christian, how do I get fit like you, man? How do I get in good shape? How do I feel confident again in my body, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Or you go to some fitness guy and you was gonna say, all right, there's some things you need to stop doing and some things you need to start doing, right? That's that's the first thing they do. If you've ever gone to a personal trainer, they was like, okay, what kind of things do you eat? And you're like, uh barbecue, you know. <laughs> All right, no more barbecue, <laughs> right? Uh, and and they'll, they'll start removing things right away. And it's painful, isn't it? It's painful. It's like, oh, man, I love that. But that's often what it takes. That is what it takes. There's that painful removal and then the replacement of it with the word. So rather than seeking my joy and comfort in these things, I'm filling it with the word of God. And so he says, there's some things you need to cast off. And he gets very specific with us here. But then as well, we need to also crave something. And the thing we need to crave is the word of God as our source for all things in life. That's the message today. Super simple. The path to transformation is cast off and crave the word of God.
It's all it is. So I wonder, what is it that you need to cast off? It could be one of those five things that were mentioned and all of the things they encompass. It could be something else. But what is it that you need to cast off in order to truly crave? I love how those two just go together. They go together so well. Desire, the sincere, the pure milk of the word. What is everything that we need for life and for godliness is found in the word of God and we must pursue it. Well, we do want to thank you so much for tuning into the message today. And if it's been a help and encouragement to you in any way, uh, we would ask that you share the podcast. You can easily do that on either social media or maybe just uh, text the link to a friend. But like I said, it's our mission to help others find and follow Jesus here in Vancouver, uh, all across Canada and even around the world. And so you sharing the message today can really contribute towards that. Also, we would love for you to make a connection with us if you haven't already. And so the two best ways to do that is either by liking our Facebook page, that's City Baptist Church, or following our Instagram account, Advanced City Baptist. And of course, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca. We do have all of our past sermon series on there available for you to stream, uh, past services, uh, worship, and just lots of other content and resources there to encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. But once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are looking forward to next week's message. We love you, we're praying for you, and we're here for you.